are able to do something that, that people literally fought and died for. We're an interracial group, and so for us to be able to do this is really quite profound. It's a civil rights pilgrimage to the Deep South. For three years, David Domke, chair of the University of Washington Communication Department, has been leading a nine-day bus trip with students and community members to experience the places, people, and history key to our nation's civil rights movement. Coming up, how the pilgrimage came about, its effect on those involved, and its importance in this time of racial division in our nation. We happen to have focused on something in which the society as a whole has, has come to recognize how much more work we have to do around racial justice. David Domke on the Civil Rights Pilgrimage. I'm Enrique Serna, and this is Conversations. David Domke, welcome. Thank you, Enrique. How did this idea of a civil rights pilgrimage begin? Well, John Lewis, who's the famous civil rights hero, is in Congress, and he's been leading a civil rights pilgrimage from Washington, D.C. to Selma once a year, every year time to commemorate the Selma marches in March of, March of each year. He's been taking a bipartisan delegation. They go for a weekend. I've heard about this, and I met someone who'd been on one of these, and this person talked about how profound of an experience it was, and it was interracial, um, intergenerational, and uh, I decided that uh, with some colleagues that we might look into the possibility of creating something like this. So you went down there with those colleagues, didn't you, to kind of check it out? Yeah, we, get were, a feel for <laughs> we were in Washington, D.C. for a conference, and we started talking about this. And we decided uh, we were going to spend a few days together, and we decided to, to drive to Selma, Alabama, which was nine hours south from D.C., but was closer than Seattle is to Selma. And we decided to go there. And I have a, co- a former student who's at the University of Alabama as a faculty member, and so we decided to visit her. And she leads a tour around the campus um, of the first African-American enrollee at the University of Alabama. So she started to kind of give us that behind-the-scenes piece. And when we got to meet her and she heard her talk about that work, and then we got to Selma and met some of the, the heroes of the movement, um, it was quite apparent that, that being there was very different than reading about it or having seen the iconic images on TV. So then how did it go from that to actually putting something together <laughs> And yeah. doing this. And what year did you first do this? So in 2013 is when we did this kind of exploratory trip. And we came back from that. And I went to some community members um, who had been part of lectures that I've done who had said, like, if you ever do something that involves students and you're open to community members joining you, we're interested. So I went to some of them. And I also went to some students. And I said, what do you think about bringing us together? And they were both very interested, this, both these groups. Um, and then we had to figure out how to fund it. And the community members, the way the funding works is the community members pay their way and they make a donation to the University of Washington, which covers student costs, uh, most of the student costs, but also covers the organizing team's costs. Um, and so it, basically it came together over three or four months. And our first trip was in March 2014 to coincide with that Selma anniversary as well. You had quite a few students on that trip. Yeah, the first trip we had um, 
uh, eight students, no, 10 students, 10 students on the first trip, three different colleges were part of that. And we had 20 or so at community members. Now we have a full bus. Um, you can seat up to 56 on a bus and we seat 50 to 56 every trip. Um, and it's a mix of community members and students. And we have four colleges involved now. And the idea of doing this on a bus as a nine-day bus trip, is that to get that experience or try to give that experience of what was in the 60s and the civil rights movement? Uh, yes and no. The, the yes is that um, we, there is a tremendous symbolism of going on a bus as they had with the Freedom Riders. Um, we are able to do something that, that people literally fought and died for um, 50, 40 years ago for us to be able to do this. We're an interracial group. And so for us to be able to do this is really quite profound. Um, being on the bus also um, becomes almost like the, a home. For, it's our traveling home. It's, it's very different than uh, taking an airplane flight, which is the kind of analogy people first go to. When you go on an airplane flight, it's a very transactional experience. You're going from here to there, and it's a couple hours long, and you don't really settle in. You don't think about it being your home. You don't, you don't really worry about the person next to you in the same kind of way. But when you're traveling together for this span of time, you, you start to joke together. Funny things happen, uh, food, snacks, uh, just all kinds of things. Um, but that nine-day experience is the culmination of this. But we actually spend two months in advance of that doing conversations and meetings and readings and really exploring our own histories because you can't just bring people together in this experience. We can all have a goal to be part of this, but we're very different individuals and we need to spend a lot of time being real with each other. How has it then evolved as far as the trip from when you did that very first one yeah. to what it is now? It's, involved, it's evolved tremendously, and most of this has been organic in which the, the people who've been on the trips have, have invested and given us feedback or have created things along the way. So we did almost no singing on the first trip, and now singing is a, it's, it's a very important part of this experience. It's part of the civil rights movement. It's in a way we connect with the land, with the people. So we sing in honor, and we carry forward the songs, and we also have new songs that people create along the way. We, uh, we have all of these conversations um, ahead of time, a set of readings. So we have, uh, we have two full group meetings ahead of time. We have a series of four to six separate conversations for the students or for the community members. None of that was there in the first trip. We just came together. Um, we, we have a series of reflection conversations after we return that weren't present before. Um, when we first started, we asked the students to talk about themselves and about their interests and why they were committed to this, but we didn't, really, we didn't ask the community members to do that. Now everybody does that. Uh, we do intergenerational scene setters, which is where we arrive at some place and people have prepared for a couple months to give us a five-minute overview of where we're at and a little bit of the history, but also their own personal connection to that. That's something that the, the students and the community members do together. Um, when we first went, uh, we had probably three people we met that we had set up to meet. Now we've got 12 to 15 people that they host us. They, they're thrilled for us to come. Uh, just to give you a story on that. So when we go to Little Rock on the next trip, um, Little Rock, Arkansas, we've always gone and there's a national park office, which is right across the street from Little Rock Central High School. And they take you into the high school. And it, it's quite, a, quite an experience. And when you look at the front of Little Rock, it's this very large high school. And it looks just like you've seen in the pictures. 
There's the steps where the National Guard went up with the students. But they, they take you into the school, and this, it's really a profound experience to go in there. Um, but there's also a home about a mile away that was the, the kind of command center for the whole work by uh, Daisy Bates was her name and her husband, Elsie Bates. And that's also a national monument. And we've never visited that in our, in our trip so far. On our next trip, I've, I've been in a phone conversation with the person who heads up the national monument visits. And we're going to meet with her. And she's going to bring a few other people that were there at that time. We're going to spend an hour at that home. And they're going to talk about that work at that time and why they've rallied today to raise money for that national monument and the work they're doing in the community. And so that's, that's, that wasn't even on the table before, right? Now, now, it's, now it's a part of what we're doing. So you're going into the Deep South. You mentioned Little Rock. What are the major points that you go to? Sure. We, uh, we arrive in Nashville, and there's a very uh, not given sub- – uh, part of the movement that's not given substantial attention is the national nonviolence movement that occurred in the late 1950s. It became very important. Almost all of the key foot soldiers come out of Nashville. John Lewis, Bernard Lafayette, Diane Nash, Jim Bevel, so many people. So we start in Nashville, and then we go to Montgomery, Alabama. From there, we go to Tuscaloosa, which is where the University of Alabama is, and then to Birmingham. Um, all of those have these cre- incredibly important spaces and moments and work being done today. In Montgomery, just a quick aside, the Equal Justice Initiative is there. The Southern Poverty Law Center is there. Um, EJI is where Brian Stevenson, who's written the book Just Mercy, is at. And they're building a national lynching memorial there. Mm-hmm. So we meet with them. Um, from Birmingham, we then go west to Little Rock, Arkansas. Then we come back east to Memphis, Tennessee, where Dr. King was killed in 1968. We go south then into Mississippi, and we spend two days in Mississippi, in the Mississippi Delta, which is a region of the, of the state where incredible civil rights work was done, but it's also a very poverty-stricken area. Um, we go to Jackson, Mississippi, where work was done and Medgar Evers was assassinated. We go to Oxford, Mississippi, where the University of Mississippi is, and some incredible reconciliation work that's being done on that campus there. We then go to, uh, almost done, to Philadelphia, Mississippi, where the civil rights workers were killed in 1964, and incredible reconciliation work being done there today, too, as well. And then we end with two days in Selma, Alabama. Um, actually, we don't end with Selma on our next trip. But we're gonna we're gonna drive west to the airport. I'm um, drive east to the airport in, in Atlanta, and along the way, we're gonna spend three hours in Tuskegee, Alabama, to close it. This started from kind of an informal idea in a way, and then has grown into mm-hmm. it's it's a bit of a process now as yeah. far as doing it. And I know that you are very at times consumed with all of this. <laughs> uh, you're also the chair of the communication department at the UW, uh, so I imagine you have your hands full. Why why is this so important? Why do you think it's grown? I I think that it it's we happen to have focused on something in which the society as a whole has has come to recognize how much more work we have to do around racial justice. So we we've coincided this experience with with a moment of reckoning and awareness of society. And I'm thrilled about that. And that is driving people's interest in this. And we have people signed up into 2018. And we got the first kinds of folks wanting to ask even after 2018 now. And we have students after students who want to be part of this. So the reality is I think it's got to do largely with the historical moment. At the same time, uh, what we are finding is people really crave um, places where we can intentionally 
have conversations. You know, it's you, you if you're on a family meeting, a Thanksgiving conversation, or at the bus, or in work, and somebody says something about Black Lives Matter, um, or uh, some other piece that's tied to civil rights movement today, there isn't really an entree to have a deeper conversation. It's it's an it's a minefield. But when you bring together people who who and this is the kind of piece that everybody buys into who say, I want to be part of these conversations, I want to grow, I want to listen, I want to learn, then, then in, it's remarkable that people will enter into that. They will. And so that has completely surprised us. I entirely expected it to start, when I started, to be more or less a class, a class that was rolling on wheels. And it has been a class, um, but it's become a class of relationship building and that empowerment uh, of so learning plus relationship has created this greater empowerment, and it has evolved tremendously over time. Well, it's also gone from being students. Uh, well, there are students that go along, but also community members that have largely a large group have decided to go on these things. Yeah, it started out as, as the first trip. We just were trying it out, and it was a, ten students from three colleges, and there were. Uh, about 15 community members that were part of it who were paying their way and also making a donation to support the students and that's and and to support the whole organizing team and that's what we still do that's how we fund these um, and it's grown from uh, 30 or so on the first trip to 50 plus on each trip now um, and it this is hard to bring together these groups um, it's not easy work and we have to listen and really grow together uh, but it, it has it has tremendously grown and from the beginning the the initiative has been one in which everybody builds it. Everybody builds it. And here's the analogy I use. When my son, my, I have a son who's 14 years old. When he was young, somebody said to us, we'd like to buy him a teddy bear. And we said, oh, that's great. That'd be, thank you. And they said, but we want to take him with us to the store and have him build his own teddy bear. And so he went through an experience of building his own bear, picking out the stuffing, the color of the fur, the eyes and all of that. So at the end, he had built his own bear. Um, and that's very different than getting handed a bear. And what we think of the pilgrimage is, is to build a pilgrimage experience, that everybody contributes to it, that really what the organizing team does is set a structure around that, but then it becomes what we build. And so none of these are the same. None of them are the same. And uh, we, go to, we go to same places, but the questions, the histories that people bring, the, the, what's going on in our society around us, everything's moving all the time. You're the chair of the communication department, as I mentioned. How does uh, the communication department end up doing all of this? Well, obviously, I think you're one of the catalysts. You're one of the guys spearheading this whole thing. Um, but somebody else from a different department, maybe be history or political science, it seemed like it could have been more appropriate there. It just happened to be you. <laughs> well, I think that I have studied communication strategies and communication uh, impacts around race and religion in American politics. That's been what I focused on as a, as a professor. Um, so for me, this this is what I've always been interested in is how do people, for good or for ill, um, invoke certain racial images and ideas in our American scene. And I've studied this historically, uh, post-Civil War period. It goes way back before that. And I've studied it contemporarily. So I've always brought a communication lens to understanding how race, racial hierarchies, uh, racial ideologies play out in the United States. So 
how does, what does a communication lens mean? It means like, what are the words and images that we use? What does it mean to say black lives matter? What does that mean? Okay. Why is it that they called it the freedom rides in 1960? One of the things that the foot soldiers have taught us is that they always wanted to have a two or three word, uh, kind of framing slogan for whatever they were doing in their campaign. So the Montgomery bus boycott, okay. The freedom rides project uh, C for confrontation in Birmingham, uh, the March on Washington. They were always short, crisp, right? Yeah. And so we've thought about that. Or you look at the monuments and the markers where we go, and invariably these are written, if they're more than 10 years old, in passive voice. Bad things happened here, but no one is responsible for those. So we look at these all through communication perspectives, and that's where we have control today to impact that. And so that's, that's primarily how I bring to this. And that's what the way we approach it. And we talk about this all the way through, but just to, to kind of clarify the, uh, there is an organizing team around this and the professors and there are community members and professors that are part of this. And the, the professors that are part of this have been, are in political science departments, are in history departments, American ethnic studies. So the reality is there, it is much more than communication. It's all of us coming together. So how has this changed you? You know, uh, quite a bit. Um, there is this uh, John Lewis quote that's on a monument uh, at the base of the Selma Bridge in which Lewis says, when we pray, we move our feet. And the idea there is that um, words must be met with, with actual actions, with behaviors. And so for me, uh, as a citizen, more even than as a professor, um, I've, I've I've shifted the, my kind of approach to life, uh, and I would put it in that strong of terms, to say that I need to be engaged with, uh, with partner organizations. I want to collaborate. I want to invest my time as much as I can uh, into building a better world. And sometimes that has significant possibilities. Other times it's really as small as um, stopping to help someone um, and approaching them in a way that would be different than the way I would have approached them before. Uh, so for me, it's, it's, a, it's changed very much how I approach being a citizen. As a professor, uh, I, my first and foremost goal now is, is, uh, is to bring together diverse student populations and community members as much as we can to talk about how it is we build this kind of better world right now because these students have so much energy and ideas all right and i want to give them a chance to do that um, so in, it's moved me beyond uh the kind of ivory tower experience to recognizing that as a professor i have an ability to speak into the into the community and to partner with people in the community and to listen to people in the community and so that that's been substantial this as you're about ready to go in the next one in october uh, and this coming year during a time of a presidential election when there has been so much um, anger out there. Uh, it seems the timing on this is going to be interesting. Yeah, the next one is scheduled for the middle of October. And we've, we've been doing these for a couple of years, so we've never been in a situation where we've gone shortly before a presidential election. We are traveling when we travel – and we spend a couple months ahead of time preparing and building relationships with each other that are really important um, so that we're, when we go into spaces that are unusual to us, we're together. Um, we'll be traveling through states that are much more conservative than the state of Washington, even if you take into account the whole state of Washington. Um, and uh, that's, that, that's really valuable, actually, because we start with a stereotype of these places. And we go and we recognize that 
that the world is a much more complicated space than that and that they they aren't these evil individuals. They are people who have a set of values that are driving where they're at and we need to understand that. So we talk to people and invariably people come back from these experiences saying, I have a much more favorable impression of the South. I'm interested in in knowing more about it. I'd like to travel there some more. In this particular instance, um, I expect there to be a higher level of energy and tension uh, around the campaign. Um, We'll be just a few weeks before. That will elevate our uh, thinking about this um, and will certainly probably put us in a couple circumstances where where, – uh, that we wouldn't have occurred otherwise. We might come across some rallies or protests or conversations that wouldn't normally be occurring. Um, and to me, though, that is that's America, right? And we got to get out of our bubble here. And are are you gonna if you run across a rally uh, or protest or something, are you gonna stop the bus and say, "Hey, let's check this out"? We'll decide as a group. Yeah, we had an experience in March where we had a chance to to go a couple hours out of our way to go to a Donald Trump rally. It was in um, Alabama, and we it would have changed our itinerary a little bit, but we could have done it. Um, and we had a couple-hour conversation as a group about it in which people voiced their opinions about doing this. And we eventually became apparent that, that this was not something we wanted to do, that, that this experience isn't really set up to do that. That if people want to pay attention to that, that's fine, but that, that it wasn't the central goal of this experience. So we'll decide as a group. My, my sense is I, I, I don't know, actually, because every group is different. It seems also that this comes at a time when racial divisions in our country seem to be widening. Uh, the issues regarding uh, race relations and the police also a factor in all of this as well. So it, it just seems like it could add a real interesting dynamic to this type of trip. Well, over the course of the couple of years we've been doing these experiences – um, the the composition and the the energy around race and racial discussions in this country has just exploded, and it's become to, it's come to the forefront of the American um, experience right now. And so our entire experience, we spend two months in advance having conversations. Uh, we each person writes a statement of kind of their why they want to go, what what's their histories or pieces they're bringing to this, and then we have these intergenerational interracial conversations. Um, if we didn't even go on a trip, those alone in this broader context would be extremely valuable. Um, so the pilgrimage experience is, is the whole thing. It's more than the trip itself. It's the before. It's the reflection. It's the conversations. It's bringing people together. It's the listening. Um, and so the, the thing that I think everybody comes away from this from is recognizing that we all really need to, to start from postures of listening as opposed to our telling. And I certainly have, have come to recognize that. So, I mean, the, I'm a white guy. All right. And the reality is that the problem of racism in the United States is a problem that white people are pushing forward and are creating that if we, people like me would do more of this work, then I think that that would be a major investment to this kind of change. And I just appreciate the opportunity to bring together a diverse group of people that are even committed to doing this work because the, if, we're, if there's a problem in America right now, uh, I, there is a problem in America right now. And what I, concerns me the most is that we'll pull away from each other more and more. I'm committed to, to trying not to have that happen in, my own very, in our own very small way, committed to bringing people together. As a white guy, yeah. how has this 
changed you? You know, I am uh, 10 times more cognizant of, of how I move through society and how it is that I'm given opportunities that, that very good friends of mine who have a PhD just like me but don't look like me don't get. They get talked to differently. They get treated differently. White privilege. It's absolutely Do you have a whole privilege. new understanding of that? I have a profound... Or do you have an understanding of that now? <laughs> I have a profoundly larger understanding of that. Um, and I, I live with that as I should every day, recognizing that I have a responsibility out of that to, to take a step back, to collaborate with others, to listen, but also with those privileges to make sure that I put my hand out to everybody to support to help. When Ben Bradley was a famous publisher of the Washington Post, and after he passed away, uh, a former a reporter wrote this great essay about him, and she's an African-American woman. She wrote this essay, and she said that Ben Bradley wanted her to come work for the Post, and uh, she went to work for the New York Times instead. And Bradley would always kind of reach out to her and say, when are you going to come work for a real newspaper? Um, eventually, she left the Times, and Bradley called her the next day and said, are you ready to come work for a real newspaper? And she thought about it for a while, and then she did come to work for him and to work for him and was mentored by him. And she talked about the fact that Ben Bradley was this white guy who looked around the newsroom and said, I want to build a newsroom that isn't full of people like me. And that's what he was committed to. And I want to, I want to do everything I can as a professor, as a citizen, as a father, to build a world in which people like me are part of it, but we don't exert the kind of power and pain that we've been part of, that we've, that we've actually inflicted. When you come back from these things, uh, and those that have been on it, what's the expectation for them afterwards? It's like you can go on this <laughs> thing and then you're done and that's that. I, what I, are you hoping that they really come back with and then will take it another step or well, that's a, that's a very timely question because we, we're just right now doing a survey of all 200 people who have been on the trip so far. We're kind of at what we see as the halfway point. We, we're committed through 2018, which is the 50th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination. So we've done five, and that would have us do five more. So we're at the halfway point, and we want to do a full assessment of everything. And so we, we, a whole bunch of questions about what are people coming back from with and what are they doing, and, and we're reflecting on what our specific goals are. And I would say the top goal is, is to come back with a much deeper understanding that the inequities that were historically there, which people are willing to accept, exist today, and that there is an arc to all of this, and that we cannot understand the ways in which people of color experience the United States without understanding slavery, mass incarceration, Jim Crow in between, or over time, hopefully, we'll be able to build these into other uh, kind of racial and ethnic experiences as well. The experiences of immigration, migrant labor, coming to the United States as refugees, whatever have been the experiences, that those experiences have an arc that is fundamentally tied to today. And so our primary goal is for people to see that arc and to recognize that just as people in the 1930s, 40s, 1840s, 1830s fought for things that they probably felt didn't think were going to happen in their lifetime, but they still put themselves in the cause to advance us forward, that we have that responsibility today too. Not just, because, not just to make it happen tomorrow, but to make it happen in 100 years. Ever thought of making this a uh, – applying it to the Northwest as a civil rights pro pilgrimage here? Yeah. Well, there are some organizations that do um, experiences around um, 
the kind of Japanese American and broader Asian American experience around the Northwest. But we are in conversation, my colleagues and I, with a couple organizations that are interested in doing um, a, a kind of Northwest experience or uh, a Latino American experience that would be Northwest and down the West Coast. Okay. Um, we, the closest we've gotten to this so far is I've worked with uh, Washington STEM, this organization for, that works on STEM education. And we did two, we did a Puget Sound and a statewide tour around STEM education, equity and access for people of diverse backgrounds. Um, so to the extent that, uh, that, that other organizations are interested in that, that we bring kind of this approach to it. They bring their content expertise. David Domke is the chair of the University of Washington's Communication Department, and he's a co-founder and organizer of a nine-day civil rights pilgrimage into the South. Been doing it for a few years now. David Domke, thank you so much for your time, and uh, have a good trip. It's going to be an interesting one this time around. Yeah, thank you, Enrique. 